um, series. Uh-huh. And in there, they had uh, a robot, a 1960s Hollywood version of a robot. And that the primary thing that people remember was that robot rolling onto the set saying, danger, danger, Will <laughs> Robinson, danger, danger. <laughs> and, and he's spinning these arms around uh, hoops in the air. Okay, so that's how, in fact, I think a whole generation picked that up. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. And they go around screaming, danger, danger, when in fact there's no danger. This is a yep. movie set. Please settle down, robot. <laughs> if we think about it, it's it's almost like everything can be seen as a form of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it all boils down to. Okay. If you can see it quick enough. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. It's almost like the fox and the roadrunner. Do you know that cartoon series? Yeah. Okay. Beep, beep. And the fox is always uh, ordering some new technology from Acme to help him defeat or catch the Roadrunner. Yep. But always the Roadrunner is too fast for him, and he always fails. And that is, uh, or let us say, in every episode so far, he fails. So far, he's never caught the Roadrunner. Okay. That's another one. That's an archetype that was fed to kids of a whole generation. Ah. Because it was generally from the fox's point of view. He was the protagonist. Yes. And he was always a failure, and the roadrunner was always fast enough to stay away from him. Yep. And so that creates a sense of failure that we have. So these archetypes have a, uh, a, a lot of impact upon us. But we can say, well, wait a minute, are you sure a cartoon would have that much impact? And the answer is, where do you think cartoon writers got their ideas, if not right from collective archetypes within our own minds anyway? Oh, that's interesting. This is old history. I mean, psychologists all the way back into Greek history. This is part of psychology. This is just the um, the Roadrunner's trip is is can be re-expressed as uh, um, uh, Sisyphus pushing the boulder up to the top of the mountain, only to lose it and the boulder rolls back down, leaving him doomed to keep pushing the boulder up to the top of the hill. That rings a bell. Much more, yes. <laughs> I can't fully remember that story, but. I think I came across it in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the school teachers would try to tell you don't get into that situation while everything about the school is teaching you <laughs> here's yet more bigger rock for you to push up a hill. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And they it's... warned you in advance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you didn't take heed, huh? 
which, by the way, that's also another Greek myth, is the, a sword of Damocles. Now, over and above the throne is a sword suspended over King Damocles, and the sword is being held there by a horse's hair thread. Right. And it can break at any time, at any point, so long as Damocles is sitting in the throne chair. And why would a king sit in the throne chair? To make judgments. And so the whole sword of Damocles was probably another myth that was right past the kids. Wait, I don't follow that one. You know, you do know about the sword of Damocles. Again, this it, it rings a bell, but I can't remember. The word Damocles sticks out, uh -huh. but the rest of it doesn't. The sword. Okay, the sword of Damocles, that's the whole point. The sword of Damocles, because Damocles is, is a king, and, the, and the, above the throne is that sword hanging by a horse's hair. And so Damocles will do everything he can to stay out of that chair. Right. Right. So it will only... It will only break if he's sitting under the chair. Well, if it breaks on its own and he's not sitting there, what do you do? Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but it's destined to fall on him while he's there, especially the more time he spends there. Uh huh. Okay. okay. Yeah. I the I more think I get it. The time he spends it actually being the king, the more vulnerable he is. Uh huh. And the Christianity they have it in the in in Psalms where it said. Um, Pride goeth before a fall. Okay, the sword of Damocles is a mythological version of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Makes sense now. All of this stuff is old ancient history, and the humans have known about it as wisdom all along. And this is yeah. the value of mythology. If you understand these myths, you can recognize why uh, uh, folks like Freud and Adler, and especially Carl Jung, was so interested in <clears throat> in them. Yep. Because there lies the psychology of the human mind in those yep. myths. Exactly. In fact, why do you think that uh, they use the word narcissism for the word narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder? Where do you think they got that name from? I don't know. It's a Greek myth. And Narcissus was the one who fell in love with his own image. And so he would sit on the uh, ledge above uh, the pond to watch himself. This one also rings a bell. <laughs> I'm remembering all these things from, um, from school. <laughs> Yeah, so self-aggrandizement, getting stuck on uh, wanting something that you can't have, the roadrunner, <clears throat> Sisyphus, um, the, sword of, the sword of Damocles is uh, sitting on the throne of pride, mm -hmm. and, and it is dangerous, um, and so all of this 
uh, wisdom has been known, but it's been uh, told in the form of stories so it could be passed down. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, what happens with the stories is is that the stories become the stories themselves instead of the moral of the story. Yep. Aesop's fables are, in fact, supposed to be moral stories, and some of them are jam-packed with morals in the sense of every character leads to a moral of a story. Uh-huh. But, but the problem is is that often they get involved with the story itself. All right, yeah. Then, and then the, then the moral gets lost. And a clear example of that is the, the mythological story of Adam and Eve. Yep. To where there are so many people that get into talking snakes, and the woman did it first, we can blame them, and uh, uh, God threw them out of paradise for competing with God, a whole lot of stuff, apples, you know, fig leaves, all so many little parts of the story there, and they always keep missing the story. When Bhikkhu Buddhadasa read this story, he got it. Uh-huh. Because he could see the moral of it because he wasn't from the Christian per, uh, point of view that there's a God in this thing, which is the way that the story is always told. No, what in fact everything has symbolism, but it's not the symbolism that people will normally think. The symbolism is that the fruit of the knowledge or the fruit of the tree of knowledge is a a reference or a metaphor to the result of an action and that's common in all languages so Uh why it becomes an actual physical fruit in this case not sure okay but it's the result of something so, uh, uh, Before that, every... the actions had no results. Or... Uh, no, no, not so much. It's that they had a particular action that did have a particular result, especially if they had that action happen over and over and over again. Right. Okay, so what was that action? The action was uh, knowledge of good and bad, put Uh into practice going around making divisions precisely what it's complaining about is the territorial instinct is dividing the land up into territories Uh deciding which trees belong in my garden yep Okay, so instead of leaving things as a natural paradise without boundary, now we're cutting the thing up as to good and bad, mine and theirs, this and that. Yeah. Uh, When we recognize that all this is actually, now we understand that that it is eating of the fruit or taking on the results of the knowledge of good and evil because that brings about the action. So once humanity got wise enough to decide that they could follow their feelings, not just from I like it and I want it, into I like it, I want it, it's got to be good. And I don't like it, uh-huh. goes from I don't like it into I don't want it, or, uh, or I want it to be not here. 
But now they're making the new, uh, almost human statement of, I don't like it, I don't want it, therefore it must be bad. Yep. But good and bad are just human ideas. Right, because here's the quality of poison. That poison must be bad. Well, it yep. depends on who, where, why, when it's poisoned and whether or not you get the advantage of that poisoning or not. Exactly. If you get yep. the advantage and you like it, then poison is good. Yep. All right. So this is how we begin to understand things, that the human mind goes naturally into the ignorance of wanting to know so that they can judge it good and bad, or in a sense, dangerous or safe. So without the, no, with the idea of a self, it's um, almost impossible to um, not see things as good or bad. I'm not quite understanding your question. Give me a go again. So like, you know that this you know that the poison is good or the poison is bad, depending on the perspective. Um, mm -hmm. So if I get poisoned, it must be bad. Um, but if I'm the snake that's poisoning, then it must be good. Um, and, and these all relate to the sense of self, again, because if we didn't... I am the snake, precisely. I heard your language exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you have to see through that before you can um, really appreciate that there is no good or bad um, with ah, uh, everything. However, not only is there no good or bad, but making that decision or deciding that yet it is good to decide what is good and what is bad, that destroys paradise. Ah, interesting. Not interesting, it's part of the myth. <laughs> <laughs> They're kicked out of paradise, or literally yeah. they destroyed their own paradise. Because they thought it was good to know that. Because it would, well, they were saying some of it's not good. And so they started chopping it down, cutting it off. And sometimes it retaliated. <laughs> he says, I'm not going just because you think I'm bad. <laughs> huh. mm -hmm. So this is how, and our society is built upon that. Our whole yep. society is built upon values, right? Yep. Period. I rest my case. That's how fundamental that story is. That story of Adam and Eve is that fundamental. It is the basis of our society, or the, the basis of the human mind that allows for the creation of a society. Yeah. You have to destroy paradise to do it. Yep. And we all do it. We're taught to. Yeah. I We're feel not allowed to be children in paradise. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's all um. You know, kids are really good at doing it, and then and then it's um. It's trained out of them. Huh? You sound like me talking now. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I am. Um, but now you can yeah. see it for yourself. That's the whole point of telling the story. Look at what's going on with the way we raise our kids. And yeah. you'll say, yeah, I remember. That happened to me, too. <laughs> yep, definitely. And so we are taught the story of Adam and Eve, but never the point of the story of Adam and Eve. The moral got lost. And we continue to divide and conquer. Yep. But the dividing and conquering means something's got to be destroyed. And if you keep dividing and conquering, you'll keep destroying. Yep. And humans are very, very good at destroying things. I mean, look what they've done to the earth and the atmosphere and the ocean. All <laughs> great guys as, a, as humans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when we wake up to that, that that's part of the society, then we can be able to determine how each one of us can live our own life to be free from that destructive nature that yep. we have, which comes from good and bad. You see, that's very interesting also in the Dhammapada itself. This is great. This is almost a, a an entire teaching packed into a couple of words. Okay. When the Buddha said, avoid evil to do good and to clean the mind yeah not say conquer evil avoid it avoid and therein right down to the thought level to avoid unwholesome thoughts yep because it is there that uh, springs the good and bad mm -hmm. that we create that good and bad through our own ignorance yep or which also becomes right and wrong but we can think of right and wrong in a different way and often we use and apply the word kusala you've heard the poly word kusala a kusala yes yeah and what that means here is wholesome yeah we can get wholesome versus unwholesome Especially the actual analogy is that the kusala is a grass, a very heavy-duty, tough grass with little spikes out on the edges like all grasses has, but these guys are ferocious. And ah. so what they do is they cut this thing down at the base, put it under a brick, and let it dry and flatten out. And then they've got a knife. And that knife can be used for all kinds of things, including cutting cloth and cutting bread and naan and used for cooking and all kinds of things. But it's not strong enough to cut wood. Still sounds really strong. Considering it's, just, considering it's just grass, it sounds really strong. It is really tough. We've got lemongrass that's almost that strong, but kusala, I've seen it. Uh-huh. I've even seen it in Thailand. They'd, sometimes they have it at the Wat just on purpose so that people understand what we're talking about here. In the time of the Buddha, there was a grass that could cut. And so this is basically what we mean in the sense of diagnose, to be able to cut things open, to be able to see what's going on inside. 
and now we understand why we call it now wholesome. Mm-hmm. Is basically what we mean is visible or can be seen, yep. or can be exposed. That's really. And the other one, the unwholesome, is that which is dark or cloudy, not seen, not wholesome. Okay, but the word whole and wholesome thinks that we're putting. No, we're not. We're using a knife and we're cutting things open. We'll put mm-hmm. it together later when we've got sure that we know how to put this thing back together. But right now we're cutting it up. We want to see what's in there. And so this is how that word is, is used in, in reference of the Buddha. Is it kusala or not? Which means, can we see it? But it's always translated as wholesome. And that there's not a, um, there's not a whole lot of reason to uh, jump up and down and yell uh, Dhamma bad translation or something like that. But it's good if the students understand what's under that word wholesome mm-hmm. and unwholesome, that kusala and a kusala. Uh, so uh, when it's kusala, that means that it's wholesome. And when it's a kusala, that means that you can't cut, get in there. It's not, it's dukkha. It's, you know, get out, <laughs> go yep. away. All right. This is not soft and cushy. <laughs> yeah. This is this is hard. So, um, going back to the quality of um, good and evil, if you look in the Pali, it's probably there also. It says kusala and a kusala, though it's translated would be good and evil. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's part of our psyche, it's part of our language, etc., like that. And so then we're talking about avoid the unwholesome. Yep. Or avoid the heavy stuff. Yep. Uh-huh. And to uh, re- rejoice in the things that can be seen. Yeah, it really is um, the heavy stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Heavy, heavy is a good word, I think. Well, it goes very well along with the quality of enlightenment, doesn't it? (laughs) It sure does. It sure does. And so that's where the word enlightenment has two complete different definitions that fit precisely. One would be the enlightenment in the sense of turning the lights on. It's daylight. We can now see what's going on. That's the wholesome. All right, and it has the first three fetters that we have drawn on and on about. Personality view, sila vata paramasa, attachment to right rules and rituals and doubts. And when we practice well, we are free from those fetters, which means now we can see the method and how it works. And we become more and more dedicated to seeing dukkha and getting away from it completely. Okay, so... That's the wholesome, and it's also the cleaning out of the mind, and it's avoiding the unwholesome. And mm-hmm. so the path is really easily seen or easily built right into that if you understand this wholesome, unwholesome quality. Uh, that's the whole path. But there's another one in the Dhammapada that's actually even more brilliant, and that is um, it's good in the beginning. It's good in the middle and it's good in the end 
And yet you see so many people struggling with meditation. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Yes, if they're struggling in any way at all, working too hard, and that's exactly what I see people do. Shouldn't be any straining. Right. To let it go easy. I mean, how hard do you have to work to relax? Yep. Mm-hmm. Basically, you can sit down and lie down. You don't have to go get a, a particular brand of easy chair to do it. Yep. yep. And that's the kind of mentality that people have is, oh, I can't relax now. I've got to go do this, that, and the other thing. But in fact, um, Eric had just, just called, uh, and we didn't record, but part of the story that he did tell um, that's worth repeating was is that the Watt that he was staying uh, the teacher was quite impressed with what he was doing, and so he gave him some Achan Mun to read. Uh-huh. And, and Eric became quite um, inspired by that. But unfortunately, his inspiration turned into working too hard at it. Uh-huh. And that's always the downfall. How nope. hard nope. we have to work at relaxing and being here. Yep. yep. And that's a major issue with meditators is they want too much and they work too hard. And so by putting Achan Mun is a very high ideal and I've got to get up there. No, you're already there, Eric. You're there with him now. Just <laughs> sit down and relax and make friends with the dude. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> but when we, we when we get inspired, it's almost dangerous because we can go too far with that inspiration into working too hard rather than getting the results of that inspiration just by relaxing right now in the moment. It's a bit of a balancing act, isn't it? Yes, it is in a way. Too much of um, either end and you're, you're back to the start. Well... The most important quality of a balancing act is is that the guy who's out there balancing, he is very, very aware of his body in balance. He is very attuned to the wind on those big poles. He is very attuned to what that rope feels like under his feet and the swinging of it back and forth. If you've ever been up there on the high wire, you know that there's a whole lot of stuff to pay attention to. I bet. (laughs) And how far down it is is not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Or how afraid you are. That's not worth paying attention to. Yep. But so let us say, but in in a way, our whole life is like a right. Uh, a, a tightrope and it's almost like no matter how many times we fall over that tightrope we got to get back up on it and continue on right yep. bingo that's Sisyphus that's that big rock going up the hill that <laughs> is in fact the road the, uh, the, the fox uh, and the road runner yep. the coyote sorry not the fox the coyote Willie coyote right that's it that's the story 
Yep. Yeah, you got to be up here on this tightrope. You can't enjoy your tightrope. Here you are, a tightrope master. Look how many times you've fallen off the darn thing. <laughs> <laughs> so watch where you're going. Yep. Yeah, be careful with every step. That's a new way of practicing. But normally we're up on that high wire, terrified, and we fall off, only doomed to get back up on it. That's, in fact, also the definition of the hell that the Muslims have, that every day your flesh is going to be torn off by vultures or burned off or scraped off, and you will be down to raw meat. Wow. And in the night, your skin grows back, only to be ripped off again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds painful. Well, it's got that quality to it of the roadrunner never gets caught by the coyote. That Sisyphus never gets that rock up to the hill, but he's doomed to keep pushing it. Mm-hmm. In your analogy, you use tightrope. So I thought that we would just really milk that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's that whole quality if we first... It don't succeed, try, try again. It's right into our culture. That's, in fact, the very shortest definition that we can say. That's mm-hmm. a metaphor right there. And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa, as I've mentioned before, turned that around. He says, no, if you first you don't succeed, look at what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and how profound that is, because that's the whole Dhamma right there. Yep. is that we keep falling off of that tightrope. And if you think that you've got to get back up on it, then do so with glee. Yep. And watch what you're doing without fear. So we have the opportunity, in fact, of um, every moment. We can see that wholesome or an unwholesome side. So every moment we have that, every mind moment in a way is that uh, high wire. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you might also wait a minute. If it's if it's that pervasive, then maybe it's not a wire I'm on at all. Maybe the shakiness under my feet is not because I'm on a wire. I'm just on a flat surface that is not stable. Mm-hmm. And so there's many different ways to look at it, but one of the more important ways is is I can handle this. Yep. I can do this. No matter how shaky that high wire gets, I can handle it. And that's that's also part of the process of getting that those those sea legs. Eventually Sisyphus comes to the point of saying What's the point? Or, <laughs> again, there was, there's not going to be any climax to this thing. There is no point to it, per- yep. period. You will not get that rock to the top of the hill. Yep. <laughs> You're not going to get to the other end of that high wire. You might as well sit down on this part of the high wire and enjoy yourself. Yep. And so now we're beginning to see how all of these analogies over time have been put together. But people have seen this. This has been human wisdom 
for thousands of years. Yep. And uh, Greek mythology is a way of, it's almost like every different Greek myth has something new for us to learn about the human mind. And, and there's, oh, quite a list of uh, different myths. All from sea foam to <laughs> all kinds of things. Sea foam? Yeah, somebody was born from sea foam, which was, um, it's a reference of God's sperm. Ah, interesting. So what's the point of that? I don't remember that one so much. Uh-huh. I do remember being told that by a girl who it became her favorite. Uh-huh. And we were studying that kind of thing. Atlas is an interesting one. The one who carries around the burden of the world. He's yeah. got all to carry around on his shoulders. Yep. What kind of responsibility is that? Well, it's the, it's the responsibility of a leader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. you got to yeah. carry the whole world on your shoulders. And a lot of people would rather get the benefits of being a leader and not take on the responsibility of taking the whole world on your shoulders. Current politicians come to mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we can see that not only do these old myths about human mind can be seen in great, big, spectacular ways right here in the present moment in uh, live on stage in society, but we can also see that we do it ourselves on the inside of our own minds, that we play these things out, that keep doing something even though we're not getting any results out of it. Yep. And now we have all of these examples to show humanity, and we still didn't ever get the point. Uh-huh. Don't we ever get the point that really Coyote is not going to catch the Rogue Runner? <laughs> Why should he try? Yeah. If he's got a, enough resources to get all of that stuff from Acme, he could get himself a tent and a mint julep. <laughs> yep. And perhaps a lawn chair. And uh-huh. that's all he needs. And then end the cartoon. There's nothing left. There's no climax. It's all over, folks. <laughs> There's no point. I think people have um, a bit too much suffering and distraction. But not, not so much that it pushes them over the edge and they look for a way out, but just enough to keep them going in the same cycle. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the donkey why... The never turns around and say, hey, quit beating me with that stick. Yeah. So it's like... Um, well, he's too busy chasing after that carrot he can't catch. Yeah. Actually, um, President Johnson, when he was in office, he said something very similar to that. And he says, if you can teach people that those people over there are not as good as you, 
then you'll look over there to point out that they're not as good as you. Why Johnson picks your pocket? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so that it's that same story. Misdirection. Mm-hmm. Misdirecting. And um, uh, we've all been caught by that disease. Yep. That disease of that future carrot that we <laughs> never get. Yep. The best is going to happen in that case is we're probably uh, going to get the stick instead. Mm-hmm. Or the, our, our wallets are going to get robbed while we're chasing after those uh, to prove that we're better than they are. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, this mentality is built into each one of us at the instinctual level. We all would go along with that instinctually, but we have this frontal cortex that we don't use so much. We wake up. And this is why waking up for Satya is so important. Keep doing it and doing it and doing it is so we can start waking up at those times when we need to be awake the most. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And soon, and soon we're, we're awake and awake and awake and awake and it just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. Yeah. And this is what is referred to in the sutta as unremitting. Yep. It's not all the time. Don't expect it to be there all the time, but do expect it to come back. Mm-hmm. Even Sati has to go to the toilet. <laughs> be right back. <laughs> yep. And so that's the way that we think of it. When the mind is well trained, Sati will come. It'll come. And then we can do the investigation, check out what's going on, and rearrange the house, and avoid the unwholesome, and pick up something nice and wholesome, and boogie on down the path. (laughs) And it is so easy, and so yet so many people find it so hard. Yep. It's great. Yeah. Do you have any particular questions today? Because we got off onto this rampage. It's not a rampage. <laughs> it's a squat page, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, I'm all good. 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 Well, I'm glad you called. I really enjoy our conversations. Me too. They're very, very helpful. And I'm very grateful for them. It's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. All right, Chintan, well, we'll see you the next few days. See you soon, Damrato. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>